Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing well today. My name is Jordan Thigpen. I'm one of the pastors here. It is, uh, I'm, just, I'm just struck this morning by what an honor, what a privilege it is to be able to gather and to gather freely and to gather in the name of Jesus, to gather boldly, to gather in great numbers as I think about uh, pastors all over our world that will gather in fear, not knowing if they're going to be drug off to here or drug off to there, if they're going to be persecuted because of, because of what they believe or if the, that little house church of 10 is going to get blown up by, um, by the police of their city or whatever it may be. I'm just struck by what a privilege it is today to be able to gather and to worship Jesus, to sing incredible songs about Jesus, to uh, open God's word today freely and to just um, make the name of Jesus known and worship him today. And I'm just moved by that. So uh, I hope you are too. But uh, if you've been with us for the last year or so, we've been, we've been thinking through uh, what we've called cracks in a foundation. We've been talking about what, is a, what does a clear call look like for those cracks in that foundation to be filled up. So if you haven't been with us, uh, we've been thinking through what does it look like for us to wholeheartedly and, uh, and uh, build our life only on Jesus? What does it look like to make Jesus the foundation of our life? And and inevitably for us in a world that's marked by imperfection and by sin and by shortcoming, sometimes we, we have cracks in that foundation. Uh, you can go ahead and put that graphic up. That We, we sometimes have, uh, we have cracks in our understanding of Jesus maybe. We, we don't recognize the clear call that we have to follow. Maybe, maybe we've just always kind of operated under the umbrella of, well, I've always been a Christian. I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were Christian. I've just always been a follower of Jesus without seeing that there's a clear call for us individually to be followers of Jesus. Or maybe we have experienced uh, no clear call to fullness in Jesus. Maybe you feel like the best that was ever going to happen for you was just kind of barely crossing the finish line with one hand over into heaven and the rest of it was just, it's okay if it barely makes it in without realizing that Jesus has more for us. Jesus wants uh, to bring us to fullness uh, in him or Maybe a crack in our understanding of Jesus is that we feel like, well, I, I have a me and Jesus relationship. What do I need this, this we in Jesus? Why do I need to be a part of a church? Why do I need to be a part of the people of God? Maybe that's been a crack in the foundation of our understanding. Or, or maybe we've, we've not realized that being a follower of Jesus is participating in this mission that Jesus has called us to as followers of Jesus. And if you've been in 2019, you've gotten a, been with us in 2019, you've gotten a belly full of, of this graphic and, and of these couple of sermon series that we've been through with a clear call. But we're going to go ahead and double down in 2020, and uh, we're going to build off of this foundation into, into what we call four growth areas. If we could go ahead and look at that real quick. These four growth areas that we want to build on top of this foundation are, are these areas of knowing God, of fullness in Christ, we want to grow in the body of Christ, we want to grow in the kingdom of God. And so if you've been with us, these aren't, these aren't necessarily hard things to understand. It looks very similar to the cracks in the foundation. There'll be another graphic to put up there that'll go along with that. But before we look at that, I wanted to say this. This is just going to be kind of our overarching theme for the day. This is what we believe going into 2020. This is what we see us growing into as a church. This is a little bit of vision for us this morning for what's to come in the new year. 
We believe that what the Lord wants to do in us, Connection Church, or followers of Christ, we, want, we believe that what the Lord wants to do this year is to see the Holy Spirit gain traction in our lives in such a way that we begin to see significant growth. So you may have noticed our new sermon series is called Traction. And we're going to be thinking a little bit about that today. But my, uh, my task today is, is uh, Brandon and the, the Williams gang is probably on a ski lift right about now getting ready to enjoy their vacation. Uh, my task is to convince us why. Why should we seek to grow? And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe, you've, maybe you're like, you know, the greatest joy I ever had was just that Jesus became the center of my life. Isn't that enough? And in the one sense... Absolutely. It's no small thing for Jesus to put a life back together in the first place. But what we want to see, and when we look at Scripture, what we see is that there is more. That Jesus has more for us. And we're going to look at this in the Gospel of John. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to kind of leapfrog through the first six or seven chapters there. There are four key areas. These, these four key areas are going to be important for us to grow in. And not just one. The last time I preached, I talked about how our, our growth in these things is, is cyclical and repeating, right? Like sometimes our growth in one area comes before growth in another area. And sometimes just the events of life and the course of life, things seem to ebb and flow in our growth in these different areas. But what I want us to see today is that this growth is important. It's like, it's like if you were driving through a neighborhood and you saw an empty lot. Like first they kind of like maybe get all the trees out of the way, kind of clear-cut the area. Then you drive by another day, and you say, oh, look, they've poured a foundation there. Your expectation for that plot of land is not that it would stay uh, that foundation, right? Your expectation is that eventually they're going to frame that out, and they're going to they're build something on top of that. So if, you're, if we're, you're looking at this, and you're kind of asking the question, why are we going back through this foundation stuff more? Or why are we talking about building something on top of that? It's because, friends, just like a house, there's so much more. There's so much more that I think the Lord wants for us as individual followers of Christ, but also for us as a church of, of Connection Church. And this is, this is sort of what the, the launching pad for a lot of what I want to talk about today is this, is that your life is going to be built on what you believe. Your life is built on what you believe. And just like with the house, we've got to make sure that foundation is secure. And if that foundation is good, we can then begin to build something beautiful on top of that. Or, or spiritually speaking, once we have that foundation of Christ, Christ can then begin to build something beautiful and ornate and wonderful on top of that. But as we make our way into the book of John, this is the book of John, the gospel of John has been something I've personally been reading in my own DIY time. I would just echo everything that Pastor John said uh, during our announcement time, that this DIY uh, method is really helpful as we, uh, as we spend time with the Lord for ourselves. And a lot of my sermon has kind of come out of that, looking at the Gospel of John. What has struck me as I think about this, you know, what you believe is what you build. I've noticed in John is that, what, what I've noticed is that belief is not all there is to following Jesus. And belief is when everybody says, I believe, we don't all mean the same thing. And I highlight that. I want to let that sit with us for a second because of the particular context that we live, right? We, we would be remiss to not highlight the fact that we live in the Bible Belt, and it's, it's easy to have an, an imported faith, 
right? To, to say that, uh, well, yeah, I'm a, I believe in Jesus. Like, my mom believed in Jesus. My dad believed in Jesus. I was baptized when I was a kid and all these things. It, that's, that's my story, if it's not anyone else's. It's to, to live for so long with an imported faith. And me saying, I believe in Jesus meant one thing at one point in time, and then it meant something different. So we're going to look at a couple of different scenes where this makes an appearance. But all along the way, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to participate with me as we work our way through this. I want you to ask yourself the question, what do I mean when I say I believe? What do I mean when I say I believe? <clears throat> we're going to look at a couple of different uh, a couple of different scenes along in the Gospel of John, and we're going to see people mean different things when they say, I believe. Let's look at, at John chapter 1. We see this encounter. We see Peter and Andrew have been called as disciples. Now we see somebody named Philip is now a follower of Jesus. He's from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter. Peter goes and finds this guy named Nathaniel. And he says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. It's Jesus. It's the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, really? I know Jesus. I know that guy. I know Jesus from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's just like, bro, just come and see. Just come and check it out. So Nathaniel comes, and Jesus meets him. And he says, here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And he says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. And Nathaniel responds, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. This is interesting. You fast forward just one scene, just a little bit to this first miracle of Jesus that we see in John 2. What I want you to note is that Jesus is, is kind of blown away by the nature of Nathaniel's belief. He's saying, you, you believe just because I said that? John 2, we see our favorite miracle of Jesus turning water into wine at this wedding. And what we see is that he's reluctant to do this miracle Mom talks him into it. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. He's like, come on, Mom, right now. Jesus does the miracle, turns the water into wine. And what I love about this is in verse 11, and this has everything to do with Nathanael as well. It says, Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So what were they doing the whole time before that? Right? So Andrew and Peter uh, are, are already signed up to say, yes, we're, we are going to follow Jesus. And now, now Philip and Nathaniel are, are followers of Jesus saying, I believe. Nathaniel, it's, it's been a point-blank statement for him. You are the anointed one. Like, I believe. And Jesus is saying, oh, really, you believe. And now, fast forward, they see this miracle. And, and it, what I want us to see is that something happened along the way. And we're going to talk more about it. Something happened to where it seems like belief deepened and solidified in a different sort of way. John 2, 22, Jesus, this is the scene where Jesus goes in and he turns over the money changers' tables and runs people out of the temple. And 
the religious leaders of the temple are like, what authority do you have to do this, Jesus? What are you doing? What, how do you have authority to do this? And Jesus' response is, if you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. Of course, he's referring to his future death and resurrection. And they're like, it took 46 years to build the temple. What are you talking about? But what's of interest for us is that in verse 22, it says this. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this about the resurrection of his body. And they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus has made. I love that Jesus is building with the disciples on belief that they don't even have yet. I think, there's, I think that Jesus wants to do something in your life and in my life this year on belief that we may not even have yet. A belief that's going to solidify and change and grow maybe throughout the course of this year. Then in verse 23, we see a different kind of belief. While he was in Jerusalem, Jesus, at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. This is a very shallow faith that this crowd has. And we're going to see that. This is a shallow sort of, wow, you do some cool stuff. I'm going to follow you around type of trusting and type of faith. Let's fast forward to John chapter 4. Verse 51, we see this scene. This is a scene where this official has come to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I, I've heard about all the stuff that you've been doing. Will you please heal my son? And Jesus says, you won't believe unless you see a sign. And the official's like, okay, 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 what, uh, fine. Just please come down and come heal my son. And Jesus says, go, my friend. Your son will be fine. Paraphrasing, of course. And the text says that the man believed what Jesus said, and he went down and he went to journey back. And on his journey back, the servant came and said, Master, your, your son has been made well. And while he had one type of faith at the statement of Jesus, he then experienced the fruit of that with his servant. And the text says that the man, or sorry, then he, then, then after his servant said, your son will live, and he realized the hour matched up with the words of Jesus, says then he himself believed along with his whole household. Faith was changing the more this man experienced Jesus. And then John 6, verses 20, verse 26 through 30. A lot of fun stuff happens between John 5 and then John 6. We have the feeding of the 5,000. We have Jesus walking on water. And this is what I want to note for us. This is why I wanted to differentiate between a shallow faith of just seeing the miracles. And now we're getting into the real meat of Jesus. Jesus is beginning to say some really challenging things. He's starting to say some really hard things like, you must eat of my flesh, you must drink of my blood, that whole line of teaching. What he's talking about there, if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, is that, uh, that, that it was the person of Jesus is where the, the miraculous was happening. It was the person of Jesus. It was faith in him that would make you whole, not necessarily literally eating, or not literally eating his flesh and blood, but it was a, Jesus was bringing in a new covenant with God of saying that 
Salvation is through faith, by grace, not through works and not through obedience to the law. But the crowd is simply not receiving this. So I want you to understand the context. These are the same people, the same people that experience the feeding of the 5,000. It's the same people the text says they, they notice after the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples got in one boat and went across the lake. And there was not another boat for Jesus to take, and they know Jesus didn't get on that boat. And they make their way across the lake, and they're like, Jesus, how'd you get here? When'd you get here? And Jesus says this in verse 26. I assure you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. If you, if you remember back to the last time I preached we talked about this scene and how the miracle of the bread and the fish is literally happening in the hands of Jesus. There's, there's no way to mistake it. The, the miracle is happening as more bread is being broken and baskets are being passed. There is no other way to interpret that event other than Jesus was causing something to happen that no one else could have caused. And Jesus is saying, you're not amazed at that. You're here because your belly was full. You're here because you want more bread in this life when you're missing the message that I want to give you bread of eternal life. And this is what they say. What sign then are you going to do? It's like, all right, Jesus, you want our belief? You want us to believe for the miraculous, for the heavenly? You want our belief in that? What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. All right, so, all right fine. I'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you our belief. Well, what more can you do, Jesus? That just blows my mind that they could experience the very person of Jesus. Because I don't know if you're like, if you're like me. I'm, I, I, I think that maybe I'm a little more, I'm, I'm a logical person, like a reasonable person, like like, my life would be totally different if I could see Jesus in person and, and have followed him around and seen these miraculous things. But what I love about Scripture is that it makes it clear that, no, I wouldn't have. I probably would have been that same crew of about five to 6,000 people following Jesus around and asking the question, well, Jesus, what more can you do for me? I'm happy to believe in you. I'm happy to call you the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, king, I'll call you whatever you want, Jesus. What more can you do for me? And fast forward, this is shaking the disciples. These hard truths that Jesus is hitting us with. It says this in verse 60, in John 6, 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And jump down to verse 66 says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. From that moment, when the truth started getting real, when the weight of all of that it meant to, quote, unquote, believe in Jesus started getting real, many of his disciples started turning back and refused to follow him further. Therefore, Jesus said to the 12, so somewhere between John 2 and now, it's gone from Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, and Philip to the whole 12. 
says, do you guys want to go away too? And now we see real belief. Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's a lot that we could say here, but what I want you to see is that this was probably 10,000 plus people that are experiencing Jesus at this point, that are, have, have had some, some form of quote unquote belief in Jesus. They, they've been able to, I mean, Jesus to them, as far as the literal physical person of Jesus would have been as real, if not more real, in belief in that than for any of us, having lived on this side of faith, right? Like they would have had the at least physical belief that this guy was a real person. What I want us to see is that when these hard truths began to land close to home, it led to departure for people that had a half faith. Hard truths lead to departure from shallow belief. Here's what I want you to see. It was easy when all the miracles were happening. It's easy when you're sitting in a huge crowd and you're just passing along bread. It's like, man, this is incredible. Where's this bread coming from? Where's the fish coming from? Wow, I, I know Jesus was here. Now he's there and there was no vessel. Is he like super fast? Is he like, did he just run around the lake or did he like walk across it? Like, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but something seems different. It was easy to believe when all the miracles were happening. It was easy to follow Jesus for a few days. It was easy when Jesus was in their neck of the woods, right? Well, Jesus is still in Galilee. This is pretty crazy to watch. Let's just, we'll follow him over here. There's a big patch of grass. He's going to do the whole basket and fish and loaves thing. It was easy to be a disciple when the journey didn't require much from them. Jesus did a few miracles, some people started believing, and then he starts really challenging their belief system, right? It's not about the temple. It's not about the law. Your problem is that you don't love God. Well, what more can you do, Jesus? I'm happy to love God more, but what more can you do to convince me? That's even more challenging for us when we live on this side of the resurrection, it was easy when the teaching was about someone else. When the sin Jesus is calling out, when it's landing home closer to someone else's yard and not our own, it was easy to be a disciple of Jesus then. But when hard truths land on your doorstep, it will lead to departure for shallow belief. This is what we need to think about, guys. Is what happens when Jesus starts moving around the furniture in your house and not someone else's? What happens in my life when Jesus starts moving around my furniture and not someone else's? Is Jesus just being too hard? Is he just being too much of a taskmaster? Is he asking too much of me? What happens when Jesus asks me to step up to the plate? What happens when it starts costing us things to follow Jesus? What happens when you have to believe before Jesus moves? Not after the fish and loaves, not after walking on the sea. Am I supposed to wait for Jesus to bring some of my family members to faith before I declare that he's good? 
Am I supposed to wait for Jesus to answer prayers that I have before I'll sing his praises? Now, friends, Jesus is good before that. What happens when Jesus starts pressing us about these private sins in our lives, our anger, our impatience, our speaking harshly to one another? What happens when he starts pressing around on those issues in our lives and not these big public marquee sins that are easy to push around? My friends, I'm afraid what will happen when that starts to hit home I'm afraid what will happen is that we'll be like the crowd in John 6, verse 60 through 69. And this is what I realize is that the harder the full truths begin to hit home, the nature of our half-belief will begin to be exposed. I'm going to say that again. The harder the full truths begin to hit home, the nature of our half-belief will begin to be exposed. The closer those hard truths of Jesus begin to hit home, what's going to happen to your faith? What's going to happen to your worship? I want to read this quote to you. It's from a pastor. He says, A halfway Jesus, known with half truths, bringing a half salvation, applying a half remedy to the magnitude of our needs. It's easy to settle for that. It's easy to settle for that. But then we wonder this, and this is where it gets real. Then we wonder, why doesn't this half faith work for us? Where's the power? Why aren't things happening? The real Jesus, the whole Jesus, is better than we know. But we can find out. I love the way he says this, but we can find out. How? How can we find out? The thing to do is to keep asking that mega question, Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Until God grants such clarity that the full Jesus stands forth in our understanding. This is it right here. As our vision of him grows, we grow. As our vision of who Jesus is grows, so do we. We get traction and start rejoicing with new freedom of spirit. Think about this. Is this not what happened in the life of Nathaniel? He had maybe a half belief at first, maybe a half experience with Jesus at first. The more he experienced, he sees the way Jesus lives. He sees the way Jesus is persecuted. He sees the way he's rejected by his family. He sticks with him. He sticks with him. He sees him at the crucifixion. He sees him at the resurrection. He sees Jesus ascend. And all of those experiences of Jesus, his vision of Jesus increases and Nathaniel grows in Jesus. Friends, that's the opportunity that we have this year. We have the chance to build on all of the experiences that we have been experiencing over the, over the entirety of our walk with Christ. But friends, here's what I want to convince you of today. As much as we could celebrate so many other things, I want to call us to this vision We have to grow. We have to grow. I'm not talking about putting more butts in seats throughout this auditorium, though we want to see as many people experience the love of Jesus as possible. We have to seek growth for ourselves. We have to seek growth for our connect groups. We have to to seek growth, growth for our church, for our families, for ourselves. And if you believe me about nothing else, I want you to believe me on this 
one point, if you, don't, if you don't believe me about the rest of the sermon or anything before it, believe me about this. Our sin needs more than a halfway Jesus. Your sin, my sin, all of our sin doesn't need half of Jesus' atonement. It doesn't need half of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It needs all of Jesus. Your life, my life needs all of Jesus. My kids' life need all of Jesus. There's so much more available to us in this life through Christ. I just picture Jesus on the, knowing the front end and the, and the back end of the journey, right? Jesus is never, he's never caught off guard by the crucifixion, right? He knows where he's going. He knows where his destination lies. And just talking to Nathaniel right there on the front end, right? Nathaniel's like, the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus is like, no, son, there's so much more. There's so much more ahead of you in your journey. So why should we grow in 2020? Why should we as individual followers of Jesus, why should we seek to grow this year? I've got three reasons for us. Number one, our growth is motivated by love for God and his love for us. So reason number one, we have the right motivation to grow because God loves us and we love God. First John, let's look at this. This is where, if you want to go ahead and turn to First John chapter 4, this is where we'll be. If you don't have a copy of God's word, the text will be on the screen. I'm sorry about not having the gospel of John up there for you. But First John 4 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Starting in verse 7 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now love consists in this. This is how we know love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. There's a lot that I could say here about this text, but I'm going to settle for this. Loving God and loving people is the way that you were designed. It's the way that you were created. It's if, if your life is an instrument, loving God and loving people is the way it produces the sound that it was created to make. That's our motivation. Our motivation is that a loving father has created us in such a way to live in a specific design. And that design is to worship him. And to also feel the love of that same father to us. It's not a one-sided fatherly relationship where we pour all our love out to the father and he doesn't return any of it. No. God the father returns that love and loves us. But here's what you, you've, you've got to get this. We can, we can jack that motivation up so quick. We can, we can ruin that motivation big time, and we're good at it. We can flip this around and make it about, I need to grow so that God will love me. I need to grow so that God will know that I love him. Or I need to love God so that he'll love me. 
No, my friends, there is no so that language in 1 John 4. There's no contractual language to loving relationship with God. It's a covenant love. It is a love that he has drawn us into and we can abide in, we can rest in, we can sit in that love, secure knowing that God loves us and that we are free to love God. Working in order to earn the approval of a heavenly father is like playing this piano with a hammer. That, that thing will make noise if I beat it with a hammer. I haven't tried it, but it'll make noise. But it won't be the noise that it was designed and created to make. Us trying to flip this motivation around to grow so that God will love us will be an endless labor that will produce no fruit. So friends, find your motivation in this In these growth areas, you'll find this in your identity in Christ. Let's grow in our identity in Christ so that we feel secure in the love of a father. Reason we should grow, number two, is our purpose. So we've got our motivation. Now we're going to talk a little bit about purpose. Our purpose is to present Christ to others so that they can experience Christ. This 1 John 4, 14 says this, And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Crystal clear depiction of the gospel. We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as as Savior of the world. We seek to fill the earth with the glory of God through the good news of the gospel. There's not one square inch of this globe, no continent, no corner of this world that doesn't deserve the good news of the gospel. Now, that's a daunting task. It's a daunting task to fill this entire county and this entire city with the love of God. But, friends, it is worth our growth that we could step into our purpose, motivated by the love of God. And yet, all the while, when we have our right motive and we step into our purpose, we also have our third major reason to grow, which is our growth is powered by the Holy Spirit. It's 1 John 4, 13. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us, given to us from his spirit. This is how we can know that we have a loving Father that loves us, that we abide in Him and He abides in us, is that we are sealed by His Spirit. He is given to us from His Spirit. And folks, this is what I believe, that we're thinking about these four growth areas. When we align the goals of our life, this knowing God, when we align the goals of our life with the identity of our lives, with the people of our lives, with the mission of of our lives, when we get those things lined up, when we start seeking to put energy and movement into those things, that's where I believe we find the power of the Holy Spirit, right there. It's God working in us, working through us and filling the earth with the good news of the gospel. So the rest of our series, we'll talk more about how this growth occurs. We'll talk more about how we grow in Christ, how we grow in each of these growth areas. We'll talk more about how we get traction in these things. But what I want, if if you don't leave with anything else, what I want you to walk away with is knowing what we need to spend our energy on, what we need to seek to grow in, and why we need to do it. We want to grow because that's our design.
We wanna grow in Christ because he's preparing us to be a light in the world. And we wanna grow in Christ because that growth is powered by the Holy Spirit. So I wanna talk a little bit about traction. It's the title of our series. I wanted to lay that framework for us as we move into it. Webster's defines traction as this. There's a couple definitions. We need to think through a couple of these things together. If we put these up on the screen, you're all familiar with traction, I'm sure. I'm sure you, you've, in some shape, form, or fashion, you've talked about traction in your past. Traction is the adhesive friction of a body on a surface on which it moves. So obvious example there, like a tire on a road, the, that stickiness that happens for a tire to a road, that's that first definition. Number two, the act of drawing or the state of being drawn like a tractor pulling a, a plow across the field. That act of drawing is traction. But since we're not a set of Michelins, we're also not a John Deere, maybe these aren't quite so applicable to us as people. Definition number three is the support or interest that is needed for something to make progress or succeed. Now we're getting a little closer to home. I'm starting to talk about people a little bit here the support or interest that is needed for something to make progress. This is the good time of year, right, to think about traction a little bit. This is New Year's. We're wanting our fitness goals to get some traction. We're wanting our, our health goals, our, our work goals, our different things, our spiritual discipline things to get traction. And can I just say, it's gotten really popular to hate on New Year's resolutions, right, like to make fun of. And if, if you're like a hater of New Year's resolutions, can I just say, we get it. Like, it's okay. It's all right. Just let us have this time of year to kickstart a few things, right? I, I know that I should, should have started eating healthy, like December 20-something or whatever, but you're like killing my New Year's resolutions. It's like the the lady in that commercial, she's like 90 pounds, and it's like, oh, Peloton helped me get from 97 to 95 pounds. It's like, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. This is the time of year that I need to get from where I was to where I am. So just leave me alone with your 95-pound deal. Traction is that momentum you begin to feel about the third week in a row of working out right. You're starting to get a little stronger. Your diet maybe is working a little bit. You're like, oh, nice, I see some results. That energy you feel, that excitement you feel of that new idea of fitness is beginning to take hold. It's starting to have some traction in your life, or maybe you're not a, a workout type of person. I would say traction is like that second season in your favorite Netflix show, right? Like the first one, you're like, I don't know about this show. I'm not, I don't know if I'm crazy about this show. But then about season two, you're like canceling morning meetings in order to uh, like stay up late the night before to watch more shows. And that little five second timer is just like, oh man, here comes another one. We're just in for another episode. We're gonna be up for another hour. That feeling of, oh, I've got to stay in for this, that's traction. That show has now gotten traction in your life. In other words, traction has to do with movement, right? Traction has to do with, with movement, both, both positive and negative, right? You can, it doesn't mean just simply that you're getting stronger in the gym. It can also be a bad habit that's forming in your life. A bad habit can gain traction in your life. But either way, it has to do with movement happening. You start doing something, movement begins to happen, and eventually the momentum of that movement keeps that something going, right? Like at this point for me, working out is I work out with my boss, and so like he pops in my door at like 1 p.m., and the momentum of him working out with me has kind of sustained that movement 
in my life, there's a lot of days I don't want to go work out, but Brandon pops in and is like, hey, we're going to the gym. And so I get up and we go to the gym. That momentum has now caught hold in my life. We can also see this negatively, right? Like if, if it has to do with movement, traction has to do with movement, picture like a Honda Civic, right, parked in like a muddy ditch. Like you, you crank the thing up, you put it in gear, and you go to match the gas, you're not going anywhere, right? Because that Honda Civic's not made to have traction in a muddy ditch. So the question worth asking, unless you want like five more examples of traction I could give you, the question worth asking ourselves this morning is, what does this look like spiritually? What does spiritual traction look like? And this is how I would define spiritual traction. Spiritual traction is the ability for the Holy Spirit to create movement and momentum in our lives, right? Like we don't want just one little blip across the radar with the Holy Spirit, right? We don't want just like a half experience with the Holy Spirit. We want Holy Spirit to create movement in our life that leads to momentum in our lives. Maybe a, a more, even a more simple way to define spiritual traction is it's just the Holy Spirit's ability to make changes in our life, just to, just to change things around, just to move things around that's spiritual traction. And the best way I know how to explain this is that traction is not a thing you do, right? It's a byproduct of what you do. You take a step on a sidewalk and you either have traction or you don't. You don't like pop up from Christmas dinner and be like, I'm gonna go get some traction around the block real quick. You say, no, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna walk around the block. And then when you take a step, if there's ice on the sidewalk, you're not gonna have traction. It's a byproduct of what you've already put into motion. Now, here's where it comes back around spiritually for us in this, is that we can't focus on the traction. Holy Spirit has to provide traction for us. What we have to focus on as followers of Jesus is the movement. We focus on the type of movement that we've been engaging in. Now, trying to bring this whole sermon together, the movements that we need to focus on are knowing God, our identity in Jesus, the people of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus or the kingdom of God. If we can start beginning to try to get movement in these four areas, that's where the Holy Spirit begins to bring traction. And that's where movement is happening and it leads to momentum. It's consistent movement in these things. Movement towards the things of God is the way that we set the stage for traction to occur in the first place. And here's what I know is that there's any number of things that you could put into motion this year. You could buy another investment property. You could increase your portfolio. You could uh, put things into motion at your job for a better job. You could put things into motion for your marriage, for your family. And you could get so busy putting so many things into motion in so many different areas but what I am wanting to highlight, what I'm wanting to draw out, is that if, if I could encourage us to put creating movement into these four growth areas, what I believe is that you'll then begin to see a Holy Spirit-filled momentum in your life. And I believe this momentum will carry, carry over into God-honoring, Christ-exalting movement in every area of your life. If we can get these four growth areas with movement in these things, I believe marriages will be put back together. I believe families will grow. I believe that careers will take the right kind of shape. Because here's what I know. As a follower of Jesus, you don't want just any marriage. 
You don't want just to raise any kind of kids. You don't want your career to be based just around yourself. No, as a follower of Jesus, you want a marriage that honors Christ. As a follower of Jesus, you're wanting to raise godly kids that love Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you're wanting a career that matters for more than just the money that's coming into a bank account. You're wanting the people that you work with to be impacted by the love of Jesus. And what I'm encouraging us to do is to put into motion in these four growth areas, and I believe the Holy Spirit will provide traction there, and we'll see God do more in 2020 than we ever have. Friends, we have God's word to renew our mind. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us power. We have Christian community to do life with and to speak into our lives in a meaningful way. And we have a mission to participate in. We have plenty to put into motion. I'm sure we're all overwhelmed with how much there is that we need to do. But I want to point us in the direction of that which is going to have the most spiritual traction. Because here's the thing. I'm afraid that we can deceive ourselves into how effective our participation is in things until someone comes along and shows us something a little different. Right? Is it, is it not true that we could sit in different sections of the church and, and never really know anybody that we sit around, or, or maybe even worse, we can sit in sections of the church and not like the people that we sit around. And we can feel like, well, I'm, I'm a part of the people of God. I'm with the people of God. I, I come every Sunday, but we can deceive ourselves into how effective our participation is. In other words, we can deceive ourselves into how much spiritual traction we actually have in these different growth areas. I want to challenge us to grow in this in 2020. And this is the good news. This is what I love about Jesus. Is that Jesus already purchased our sin. He purchased the debt that we owed the Father, right? He Jesus already purchased our ability to grow. And in that, we don't have to earn salvation. We don't have to earn our growth. We also don't have to earn our traction. Jesus paid for our traction, our spirit-filled traction already. Working to earn Jesus is like sticking with a shoe that simply doesn't fit. Trying to earn him, you're, you're putting this shoe on, it never fits, never feels right. Friends, we're not going to earn the love of God this year or ever. But what we can do is put on this new identity this new identity that Christ has already purchased for us, and it'll be like a new shoe, like a shoe you probably got for Christmas. And you can put it on, and you can break it in, and you can, your foot can get used to it. Sin can weigh us down and deceive us into seeing ourselves in ways that Christ never intended us to see ourselves. But when we step into this new identity, when we put movement into growing in this identity with Jesus, we can grow into this new shoe. We can grow into this new relationship with him. In conclusion, I want us to grow in 2020. Each and every one of us that call Connection Church home, each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. The only way we're going to grow is by the power of the Holy Spirit coming and changing us. We need to make ourselves available to the Spirit by creating movement and knowing God and our identity in Christ and the people of God and the kingdom of God.
Those areas are the freshly poured asphalt that provide the strongest traction for us. And I don't know about you, but this year I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to experience the presence of Christ in my life and in my family's life. And here's the thing. If all of this sounds so unfamiliar to you, if all of this, you can't make heads or tails of what we're talking about, I think the first thing you need to put into motion this year is surrendering your life to Jesus. This is where the Bible speaks extremely clear to you this morning. This is the greatest demonstration of love. Love consists in this, this is 1 John 4, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, friend, Jesus died for you. And if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you just feel like your life is in the ditch, you can't get traction on anything because just all around life just feels like it's in a ditch, then I just want to identify with you in that. Every single person, this is what I love about Jesus, every single person who's a follower of Jesus has been in that same place. And what we have, this is the, the, the core of our confession as followers of Jesus is that my life was in the ditch and Jesus is the one who pulled me out of the ditch. And he didn't just pull me out of the ditch, he pulled me into his family and he called me his own. And so maybe for a lot of us, the, the place where we are, being in the ditch, is the best place you could possibly be to let Jesus pull you out of it and build something new. With that said, I'm going to pray, and we'll be dismissed. I'm just ask anybody that wants to receive Christ this morning, if you want Jesus to pull you out of that ditch, I want to talk to you. I know there's people in our prayer and care team that would love to, or staff, or pastors here that would love to talk to you. Um, I want to do that today. I want to get that right with you today. So I'm going to pray, and I'll ask volunteers to make their way to the front to pray and to receive anybody that would like to pray, and we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, thank you for pulling us just a complete mess out of the ditch. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you make us new. Lord, and that you lay a foundation in Christ that is unshakable and unbreakable. Thank you for allowing us to grow on top of that. God, thank you for allowing us to know your son. Thank you for sending your son. In this we know love, that yet while we were enemies, you died for us. I pray that that good news would ring true in thousands and thousands of people's hearts this year. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.